How have you given away your power? Did you lose power over your life when you tried to force solutions? How can you recover your personal power? Welcome to episode 249 of The Recovery Show. This episode is brought to you by Michael, Marianne, Lucy, and Paige. They use the donation button on our website. Thank you, Michael, Marianne, Lucy, and Paige for your generous contributions. This episode is for you. We are friends and family members of alcoholics and addicts who have found a path to serenity and happiness. We who live or have lived with the seemingly hopeless problem of addiction understand as perhaps few others can. So much depends on our own attitudes and we believe that changed attitudes can aid recovery. Before we begin, we'd like to state that though we at The Recovery Show may be in a 12-step program, we represent ourselves rather than the program. During this show, we will share our own experiences. The opinions expressed here are strictly those of the person who gave them. Take what you like and leave the rest. We hope that you'll find something in our sharing that speaks to your life. My name is Spencer, and I will be your host today. Joining me today is Eric. Welcome. Good morning, Spencer. And I understand there's uh, there's some construction going on around you, so uh, we may get some noise, huh? Yeah, well, well, life on life's terms. Life on life's terms, exactly. And you found a reading for us today. This is April 24th, From Courage to Change. It says, when something isn't working the way I think it should, I can think about the slogan, easy does it. Instead of redoubling my effort, I can slow down and reassess the situation. The answer I seek may be staring me in the face, but sometimes I have to let go of what I'm doing before I can see it. I was trying to zip a removable lining back into my coat, but it wasn't working. I pushed as hard as I could, trying to force it to slide, but it wouldn't budge. Finally, I saw that I'd been trying to fit the lining's zipper into the coat's front zipper. No wonder I couldn't make it work. How many times in my life have I done the same thing? forced a solution. I've tried to, quote, zip myself to people and situations that didn't, quote, fit me, becoming frustrated and disheartened in the process. But I've learned that easy does it. I can take the time to see if I, quote, match what I think I want before I jump in and start, quote, zipping. My life is more serene because I'm not pushing to make myself fit somewhere I don't belong. Today's reminder, if my plans hit a snag today, I will step back for a moment and take a calm look at the situation before moving ahead. Easy does it. Think about it when you're in a hurry to do something and everything seems to go wrong. You'll be surprised how much this one little idea can do for you. That's from Youth and the Alcoholic Parent. Easy does it is one of my all-time favorites I uh, try to live by these days and Force is the opposite of easy, does it, you know? Isn't it, though? Yep, it absolutely is. And this idea of trying to zip up a coat harder, 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 just frustrating and causes me anxiety. And then I realize, you know, I got the wrong zipper. I'm trying to zip up something that should be buttoned. (laughs) I don't know, you know? Yep, yep. We've got a couple of words in our show today, and we always want to start with some definitions, right? So let's see, force as a verb, to make a way through or into by physical strength, or make someone do something against their will. And I think that that second meaning is where we often fall when we think about what we were trying to force. Yeah, solutions. Or trying to use 
strength or physical or I think mental strength, you know, say if I just try hard enough, I can force things to be the way I want them to be, right? Just squeeze the water so hard, I'll make a I'll make a, a, a cube of ice, you know, that yeah. <laughs> it just drains out of my hand. Somehow that doesn't work, does it? Yeah, I mean, I wrote in the in the margin here, push and exert, and you know, it's just draining to try to force things to change that are out of my power to do so. But what's more interesting about the definition is the verb. Tell me, this doesn't speak to our program. This says, makes a way through or into by physical strength, break open by force, drive or push into a specified position using physical strength or against resistance, propel, push, thrust, shove, drive, achieve or bring about something by coercion or effort, push or strain, artificially hasten the development of maturity, extract, elicit, exact, extort, rest, Make someone do something against their will, compel, coerce, make. I mean, you know, that is uh, how I thought I could do it. When I thought I could control it, I could cure it, and I thought I could force a solution. So it's, this, you know, force is what I came in to get away from. And mm-hmm. it's all, all the connotations are typically pretty negative. Yep. And uh, Scrabble points only 10. Yeah. Uh, not a very forceful word. Ah. <laughs> okay. And then we have power and its related word, powerless, which we talk about a lot in this program. But I'm going to talk a little bit about power today. And I think we'll talk about losing power and gaining power. So I guess powerlessness is, is in there. But what do you have for definition here? Yeah, well, ability, capacity, capability, potential, influence, Right, warrant, license, strength, might, force. Obviously, when we look through our indices in the books, you know, power is referenced hundreds of times in conjunction with higher power. Mm-hmm. But that's that's not really what what I'm talking about here. I'm, I'm really what's suggested is powerful. Yeah, not higher power, but taking back our power, which was drained out of my life. My power was completely drained. So rather than uh, power, I looked up powerful Mm. and got Mm -hmm. a couple more perhaps similar, but, you know, sturdy, influential, strong, commanding, compelling, convincing, persuasive, forceful, you know, all very positive Mm -hmm. attributes to, you know, powerful. The contrast between force and power, you know, power, taking back my power is what really uh, I kind of was getting to with this idea for this topic. Not surprisingly, powerful is 16 Scrabble points. Yeah, yeah much better. Yeah. There you go. What What's interesting is we think that if we have power, we can use force, right? Right. And, and what we have found is that most often doesn't work when you're dealing with other people. Hmm. Okay, so we sort of outlined this in in three sections the first is how have we how did we or how do we give away our power so one of those that that came to mind really quickly was enabling right yeah and how does how is enabling giving away power for me it's just completely emasculating and you know i would just say yes to it unacceptable behavior say yes when i meant no to avoid confrontation that's enabling 
which led to feelings of resentment and bitterness and anger. Even engaging, taking the bait and picking up the rope and engaging in the toxic tug of war was giving away my power. I mean, I no longer do that. And it's empowering to not engage. It's empowering to set boundaries. It's empowering to say no when I don't want to do it. And, you know, the answer to why when I say no is very acceptable now for me to say, because I don't want to. (laughs) Who would have thought it was so simple? You know, I gave away all my battery strength, all my power. Someone recently equated relationships as, you know, if you imagine you're playing a video game and, you know, you have a remote control that has a little power bar on it. And as you give away your power, you watch the battery drain. And I came in drained of my power, drained. I was at the mercy, at the beck and call, and at the whim and insanity of the disease because I just didn't want confrontation. I didn't want the fighting. I wanted it to all go away. I wanted calm and peace, but instead I fed the disease. So that to me was giving away my power. I was feeding the disease by enabling it and not standing up for myself. I'd been beaten down so badly and felt like such a doormat that I felt the only way to survive was to continue to allow myself to be trampled. And that was just not healthy. And that makes me think about this notion that enabling is feeding the disease and that that we do it because it's easier right. than, than trying to use our power to somehow change things. Or, and this I think was true for me, I spent a lot of the power that I had thinking about this power level, this battery, which is, is a great metaphor, that I spent all of my power trying to change the situation, trying to make my loved one not drink, trying to force my loved one to not drink. And so I was using my power in this forcing solutions that didn't work, and that drained me. And then it was just easier to say, yes, as you say. I'm a, I'm a great one for avoiding confrontation. So I would say yes because I didn't want to fight. Right. And then I would pick a fight over the most trivial things. And of course, picking a fight, being in a fight, drains power, right? Right. It takes energy that, that I don't need to spend. It takes energy that sometimes I don't have. And then I find myself acquiescing out of tiredness. And you talked about a couple of concepts here that we use as shorthand and one of those is picking up the rope. There's a reading from our book, How Alanon Works. It's on page 30. It says, It's as if we were holding one end of a rope and an alcoholic grabbed the other end and started to tug. Most of us would react automatically. We would tug back. It never occurs to us that we don't have to play. If we knew we had options, we might choose to drop the rope. There is no tug of war unless both players hang on to their ends. And so we talk about dropping the rope or even better, not picking it up in the first place. That's, that's something that I didn't understand. I thought that if I was provoked, I had to respond. I thought that if my alcoholic said or did something ridiculous or, or harmful, that I had to fight back. 
And just learning that I could turn away, yeah. it, it gave me so much power. Yes. Another thing that I thought of in terms of giving away power is is denial. That when I'm in denial, I don't see where to put my power. And that's another way of giving it away. If I don't know where to apply what I have, then it's not going to do me good, right? Right. I don't know if you can reflect on that a little. Uh, of course. I mean, <laughs> I think anyone that would understand exactly what you're talking about, you know? I mean, again, I use this analogy all the time. I felt that I had to fight fire with a blowtorch, you know? <laughs> I mean, when I was approached, and my, again, it sounds like it's similar in your case, my alcoholic was a provoker, just looking to fight any any reason to cause or create confusion and chaos fed her disease. And I, I stood there, you know, with a, with a bucket of gasoline thinking that I'll just make it bigger until I'll win. You know, I'll, I'll create a bigger fire. He who's loudest last wins. And it's just, it's just absolutely force with force. It just creates more force. It just creates an explosion. Uh, there's another good reading on this on March 8th from Courage to Change. I'll share now. Mm-hmm. One of the wonderful benefits I received by going to Alana meetings is that I find new ways to work my program. The chairperson at one of my favorite meetings passed around a basket of Alana slogans and suggested that we each take one and try to apply it to this day. It was remarkable how many of us seemed to get the perfect slogan. The very next day, I found myself in a stressful situation. I was struggling to solve a tough problem, growing frustrated and upset, but no closer to a solution. I asked my higher power for help and suddenly remembered that basket. In my mind, I imagined myself reaching once more into the basket full of slogans. Again, I got exactly what I needed. The slip of paper I pictured reminded me that easy does it. I stopped trying to force a solution and waited until I could approach the problem more gently. I felt much better. My thinking was clearer, and in time, a solution appeared. Today's reminder says it's not always easy to know which Alanon tool to apply, especially in the middle of a crisis. I'm grateful for a higher power who knows my needs and for meetings that help me to find new ways to put these tools into my life. And the quote from One Day to Time, as we learn to depend on our higher power through applying the Alanon program to our lives, fear and uncertainty are replaced by faith and confidence. The point is, you know, forcing a solution. I mean, how many of us came in thinking we could force a solution? I, I truly believe that if I read all these books at the end, they're going to tell me what to do, you know, and I'll just go do it. <laughs> mm-hmm. How uh, incredibly naive, you know, and I wrote down something the other day. My sponsor said to me, he said, well, you're certainly working the program hard. And I said, yeah, well, let me just think about what you just said, because I used to think that. I used to think that I could force myself to work this program so bloody hard that I'd get to serenity faster. I said, you know what? I think I'm now working the program easy, not hard. Working it hard was forcing myself to try to believe, and I thought I could. I thought I could force this program down my throat, into my head, faster than it was intended to be received. I could force myself into recovery. Just as I thought I could force my alcoholic into recovery, it never happened. I had to slow down. I had to work the program easy, 
not hard. And that kind of ties into how force applies to me. Sometimes I force myself to do things thinking that if I just, again, squeeze it harder, I'll be more successful. You know, read 10 chapters today. I've learned that the easy does it seems to be the slogan that pops up again and again and again. When we look up, you know, forcing a solution, easy does it seems to be the takeaway pocket change from this particular uh, part of this, uh, this episode. That's an interesting observation about working the program, hard versus easy. Yeah. I was listening yesterday to a talk by Tom W., who gives both AA and Elanon talks. This was happened to be an AA talk, but there's so much wisdom in it. At one point he said, I don't believe it works if you work it. I believe it works if you let it. Oh, perfect. That just resonated with what you just said and, and came to my head here. That's great. How do we lose power when we try to set boundaries and end up setting ultimatums that we can't keep making threats instead of setting boundaries. And we talked about, we talked about this in our consequences episode recently, but I think it, it comes back here because for me, if I set an unrealistic boundary or just didn't set a boundary, then I gave away power to influence the course of my life. Right. Well, no one, no one's going to believe you. I mean, if, if I set an unrealistic um, consequence, if you drink again, I'll leave you. I did that. I mean, I did that many times in early stages. I never did it. You know, I, I, I never did it. It was a hollow threat, and it lost complete power. I mean, it had no power. And it's the same thing with my children, you know, my teens. If I make an idle threat, you know, if you do this, I will ground you, take away your phone, take away the car keys, and then I don't do it. It's completely powerless, and it loses all, all or any. It becomes laughable and, uh, and enabling, for it, frankly, because it's unrealistic. I love that quote by Tom W. that said, what did you say? I don't believe it works if you work it. I believe it works if you let it. It works if you let it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, it still, it still requires that I do the work, quote unquote, about, which means, you know, being true to the program, following it on a daily basis, you know, taking, taking what I used to call the medicine, now I call the vitamins of daily readers and prayer and meditation. That lets my higher power have some room, you know, to give me some guidance that I need. And my prayers are very simple these days. I mean, my prayers basically are God help me. Wake up in the middle of the night with some fear or anxiety. I say, God, help me. Nothing more. It's not really asking for anything more than help. Whatever he decides is what I need at that moment. Maybe it's to get back to sleep. Maybe it's to just change my thoughts. Uh, but God, help me is a very powerful way to ask for help. And asking for help in, in that regard is powerful. If I don't know what to do by just plowing ahead blindly, you know, I've been referred to years ago as a bull in a china shop. Just trying to just bull my way through, just go through it, around it, under it, explode it to get what I want. And boy, that just it leaves carnage and chaos and uh, a lot of dysfunction and resentments among the people I love by my just trying to force it. Sure does. Sure yeah. does. I think you talked about 
just wanting to keep the peace. Yeah. And, and there are a lot of different ways in, in which I know that I did things that didn't feel right to me that, that weren't what I wanted in order to keep the peace, certainly enabling going out and, and buying alcohol when she ran out, even though I did not like to do it. It was, it was easier for me to do that than to provoke a fight, you know, whatever might've happened, whatever might've happened. And so, but another one is uh, that I wrote down here, apologizing for things that weren't ours to keep the peace. Yeah. No. Yeah. The weather. <laughs> My parents. Um, <laughs> the traffic. <laughs> I'm sorry it's raining. I'm sorry we're stuck in traffic. I mean, what, what that really? Seriously, what the hell did I have to do with that? But I would apologize for it. I've said this before. I had I'm sorry tattooed on my forehead just to try to keep the peace. Man, that was giving away buckets of power. I got nothing. I got no dog in this fight. This I didn't cause the weather and I didn't cause the traffic. Yep. I'm not going to apologize for it anymore. Yep. So we've talked a little bit about ways in which we can we recover our power. That the program helps us to recover our power. I know the the two readings that you you had definitely had some solution in them. That slogan "Easy Does It" is a big one. That that not trying to force something that is not ours to force gives us power to to work on the things that really are. You had a nice phrase here that. But what is this power that we're looking for anyway? Because there are a lot of different ways to think about power. And and sometimes when I think about power, I think about, well, the power to force things, right? And that's that's not what we're talking about here. And you said we want the power that we were born with to live our lives with peace and serenity. Like, yeah, okay, that's power. That's a different kind of power. That's a power that, for me comes from this higher power that I've discovered. And here's that word, that, that word higher power, right? Comes from the higher power that I have discovered in this program. You know, the power to find gratitude, even when there's stuff that's not going right in my life. And you know what? A lot of the time, there's, there's always something that's not going right in my life, okay? Uh, right now, our dryer broke. Okay, it it dries really slowly, and sometimes it doesn't want to dry at all. I'm powerless over the fact that the dryer is broken. I'm, I although we we do have repairman coming on Tuesday, but I need to do laundry today, so I can find gratitude in the fact that there is a laundromat a couple of blocks from my house. That if I need to take my clothes over there and dry them, it's available to me. So even in the midst of of a it's a small thing. It's a really small thing in the in the in the big picture, but it's still an annoying thing, but I don't have to be brought down by it because I can find gratitude in the day in the in the fact that there's a laundromat. I can find gratitude in the fact that here it's a beautiful sunny day. I gather you're having some drizzle. It's a hot day, but hey, it's pretty, and we're going to have some time to get outside later today and plant flowers, and then our deck will and and our front porch will will have some beauty on them, and that's something I can be grateful for, and that gives me some of that power to live my life with peace and serenity when I can find gratitude instead of finding gripe. Gratitude versus gripe sounds like another topic. <laughs> You know, there's some quotes I like to do before we move oh, on. Oh, yeah, sure. A couple of really good ones from Brainy Quotes. Words are singularly the most powerful force available to humanity. 
We can choose to use this force constructively with words of encouragement or destructively using words of despair. Words have energy and power with the ability to help, to heal, to hinder, to harm, to hurt, to humiliate, and to humble. As somebody named Yehuda Berg, and it touches on both power and force in that reading. Here's a good one. Pretty smart dude. Albert Einstein said, Peace cannot be kept by force. It can only be achieved by understanding. You know, this uh, really is amazing, speaking on both of these about, you know, our chapter 13, about communication, about words, the words we use, and the power we have to help or heal, hinder or hurt. And it's how we say what we say, the words we choose to use. Yep. Here's, here's one that, that connects with what I was just saying. Every day we have plenty of opportunities to get angry, stressed, or offended. But what you're doing when you indulge these negative emotions is giving something outside yourself power over your happiness. You can choose not to let the little things upset you. It was Joel Osteen. Not sure who he is, but obviously a smart guy. Oh, yeah, that's under power quotes. Yeah, power quotes. I Sorry, you were looking at force, I'm looking at power. Leo Buscaglia, who I've definitely heard of, too often we underestimate the power of a touch, a smile, a kind word, a listening ear, an honest compliment, or the smallest act of caring, all of which have the potential to turn a life around. So small powers, small powers. Yeah. Passion is energy. Feel the power that comes from focusing on what excites you. Oprah Winfrey. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I mean, that means just, that's uh, live and let live. That's what that means to me. Yeah. You know, live the part. Live. I've been using that one most recently in living, enjoying things, going out and having fun. How novel an idea. <laughs> so if you want to move on to power. Yeah, absolutely. So I have a couple readings here. The first one is right out of our welcome. It's, uh, as we all have heard many, 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 many times over the years, if we go to meetings, which is in the paragraph that says, we urge you to try our program. It's helped many of us to find solutions that lead to serenity. So much depends on our own attitudes. And as we learn to place our problem in its true perspective, we find it loses its power to dominate our thoughts and lives. So losing power is the losing the power of someone else's disease to dominate our thoughts and lives. But where I prefer to focus on is regaining our power. And so this reading is about that, and more or less the rest of my shares are about taking back our power that we kind of got sapped of, our born innate and inalienable right to be serene and happy and joyous and free that we were born with. That's power, and how to get it back has taken years because of this disease and the power it had to dominate our thoughts and lives. So this is from How Eleanor Works, page 244. I can remember feeling exhausted when I was trying to manage everything and everyone in my life. I stopped feeling exhausted when I learned to stop, quote, playing God. Again, the steps, especially step three, quote, made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood him, were the key to my release. I became free when I finally turned the game of life over to my higher power. Everything is so much easier today because I'm learning to let go of the things over which I have no power and to allow God to take control of them. I was amazed to find that letting go doesn't mean becoming an unidentifiable blob without strength, emotion, or desire. I found just the opposite. In surrendering the things over which I am powerless, I'm able to see where I do have power over myself, 
my reactions, my attitudes, my choices. As a result, I've found a deeper sense of identity and self-worth. All that has been required of me is some willingness. I mean, the rest of this is really good. I had trouble stopping. But it's, you know, I mean, this whole next page and a half, and I'll just skip to the page 245. I'm opening up to others instead of closing in on myself. I'm smiling more. The questions that tormented me about my purpose in life, my vocation, the value of my existence are finding priceless answers as a result of my applying the program to my everyday world and turning my life over to God, not just in words, but in actuality. And there it is. That is from Al-Anon Promises, number 12. We will laugh more. I'm smiling more. Can you give me the chapter title, a chapter number, so that I can refer to it? 16. And this is chapter 16 in the stories? Chapter 16 in the stories, a non-fine spiritual piece. <laughs> yeah. So a lot of that is about using tools of the program. And we've mentioned some slogans, Easy Does It, certainly came up a couple of times. Uh, let go and let God is what I heard in, in the reading you just had that, uh, you know, asking higher power for help, asking higher power for guidance means I'm not spending time and energy on the things that I don't need to spend them on, right? Well, I think asking for help is powerful. I mean, I used to think it was weak. It's actually very powerful to say, you know what? I don't know. Maybe he does. I think I'll ask. You know, yeah. almost that simple. But it's yeah. really powerful to admit that I don't know. Much more than to fake it. I mean, and just say, oh, yeah, I'll do this. I, I'm really comfortable now saying, I don't know. You know, it's one of our neutral responses I love now, too. When I go to my co-parenting meeting once a week, man, I, I come armed with neutral responses. Mm -hmm. And I don't, I don't know is something that completely diffuses the, my feeling of necessity I used to possess to have to have an answer. Mm. Anybody familiar with that? I mean, yeah. <laughs> Just clarify for, for me and, and the listener, co-parenting is where you and your ex get together to decide how to parent your children as, as a couple, or what is it? What is this? No, we try to get together with a therapist to talk without killing each other, basically. That's, <laughs> okay. Well, that's, that's a different way to put it. Uh. Yeah. I mean, to trying to try, I'm being facetious, I'm being funny, but no, I know. It's, it's trying to, to communicate again where there's been just so much damage and so many bridges burned um, and so much anger, uh, mostly on her part, that I've detached from. I no longer engage, you know, in a, a losing battle. But that means we haven't communicated much. So we are doing this once a week uh, with a the therapist in the room. And I diffused the uh, meetings now. I've decided to use some of our most uh, harder but has become easier, which is humor. And the whole the whole atmosphere of these meetings has changed mm. by my lightening it up and yeah. deciding I'm going to smile instead of scowl. And I'm going to, you know, stop her if she's doing something that offends me and saying, you know what, I don't see it that way. Or uh, you might be right. Or aha. Or wow. Or oh. Instead of, are you out of your freaking mind? You know, yeah. which was the old version of confronting someone that has a crazy thought, I would say, yeah, you're, you're, 
completely ri- ridiculous. And uh, instead, I'll just say, you know, I don't quite see it that way, or or just say, let me think about that. It's a great way to just get out of a sticky situation using our neutral responses that I came across one day, and it's working because you know we uh, we ended up laughing during the meeting. I mean. We went to court the next day, and my attorney said, who is this woman that you brought that came here today? She's completely different. And it's because of my attitude changed. My attitude towards these meetings changed. As they say, as we say, the family situation is bound to improve as we apply the Al-Anon ideas. So I decided to bring with me to these co-parenting meetings some of the ideas that, you know, we can uh, laugh more. And my attitude can change the situation for the better by just refusing to engage and not accept someone's blame, anger, hostility. I just said, you know, you know, I, I, I don't see it that way. Instead of, you know, you're out of your mind. You know, that's just, and, and we, fortunately, we have a very good therapist who sees what I'm doing and he follows through with it. And he said, you know, Eric didn't quite say it the way you heard it. Let me rephrase it. And perhaps you can understand what he was trying to do was saying, he doesn't understand your point of view, but he respects it. That, mm-hmm. and all of a sudden, she felt respected, and this the situation was diffused. That took back my power. That's what it's about. I felt empowered to not get in, you know, enmeshed in this ridiculous and unwinnable tug of war. If that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Definitely. We talked about neutral responses in. Episode 201, looks like, mm-hmm. which was in all our affairs. Is that us? Yeah, yeah. we did that. Yeah, so on, on the show notes for episode 201, which is at therecovery.show slash 201, there's a picture of a, a page that has a bunch of neutral responses that, that you sent me the picture, and, and I posted it there. So if you're looking for some neutral responses, go to the recovery.show slash 201, scroll to the bottom, and there's, oh, at least a couple dozen there, including wow and hmm. <laughs> oh, my favorite is just simply oh. Oh. Yeah. Yep. Uh, and I strongly suggest, as many of the people who have shared these with at my meetings do, printed it and put it in their pocket and use them when they're going into a stressful situation. And I even carry my little index card in my wallet, my favorite. Sounds like a plan. Yeah. You know, there's uh, getting back to power. Yeah. There's a good reading. I'll finish with this one. And it talks about the use of power in the serenity prayer. Mm. The serenity prayer helped me to sort things out. I needed to accept the things I could not change. I could not make my husband want to help. I could not make him answer my questions clearly and honestly. But I did have the power to change the things I could. I could choose to stop expecting a non-answer to mean yes. I could stop expecting him to do what I wanted just because I wanted it. And I could learn that just waiting in silence rarely initiates change or encourages other people to meet my needs. It only feeds my martyrdom. I felt foolish about being unable to discuss the situation further with my husband. But I simply was not able to do, do so at the time. Here was something I could work on, something I could change. So it's about the power to change the things I can. That's power. And that's the power I'm referring to with this today's episode. Power to change the things I can. That's all personal. Yeah. Not changing someone else by force. Changing myself is empowering. 
that's kind of where I was at with this Absolutely. topic. Yep. Yeah. And, and I, we mentioned a couple of other tools that are helpful in getting that power to change the things we can. And one is detachment, detaching with love. Again, I think, I think that helps us to not waste power trying to force solutions, right? Right. Setting healthy boundaries can help to enable change, at least in, in my life. It may not change what my partner does, but it can change the way in which I react to it. It can change the way in which I live my life. When I set a boundary of not engaging in fruitless argument, my life gets better. Yes, you're more empowered. Uh, and maybe her life gets better too because we're not having fruitless arguments. Hey, double win, right? Saying no, again, saying no when I mean no, saying what I mean without saying it mean, right? Or meanly, if you want it uh, grammatically correct. Mean-ish. Mean-ish, yeah. Saying it no without saying it mean-ish. <laughs> Meanly. Yeah. Both of those prevent me from setting up future resentments. The less resentment I'm carrying, the better my life is. The lighter my the lighter my rucksack. Yeah, that was one of the rocks that I carried around in my rucksack: resentment and blame, and all of those all of those heavy stones I used to bear on my back. Yep. There's some good other quotes in uh, in our brainy quotes for power. Yeah. If you realized how powerful your thoughts are, you would never think a negative thought. That's something called peace pilgrim. And again, a power to change what we can. We can change the way we think. I can change the way I think. That is power. Mm -hmm. Here's another one from Marcus Aurelius. You have power over your mind, not outside events. Realize this, and you will find strength. Power and strength, you know? Strength to live our lives the way we wish, and without being at the whim and control of someone else's behavior. And lastly, this one is a good one, short. William James, uh, pessimism leads to weakness, optimism to power. So changing our thoughts, thinking positive things, and positive things happen. Do the right next thing. You know, do someone a kind deed. Smile. Go out of your way to help someone, and don't ask for anything in return. All these things are power building and taking back the self-esteem and my courage you know, I was so beaten, you know, when I came in. My confidence, my self-esteem, my happiness was all just in the gutter. And by using, you know, the distinction between power and force and using the power to change myself, I'm becoming more confident. My self-esteem is higher. I'm happier. I'm smiling more. I laugh more. The promises, you know, we've referenced so many times in our, our uh, episodes that, that almost all of them have, have materialized in some form or another. That's power. Our secrets will no longer bind us in shame. That's powerful. Our lives, no matter how battered and degraded, will yield hope to share with others. Courage and fellowship will replace fear. Talk about power. You know, I'm getting my power back, my internal power. Yep. My power to be the person I was intended by my higher power to be. I was born with the inalienable right to have peace, happiness, joy, freedom. That's power. That's power. It got robbed for a while. Someone stole it. I'm building it back by the use of the tools of this program. Yeah. 
All right. Thank you. And on that first uh, song that I picked, and you can listen to these songs at therecovery.show slash 249. It's by Linkin Park. The title is Powerless. And here's some lyrics that spoke to me about the way in which I was powerless. I watched you fall apart and chased you to the end. I'm left with emptiness that words cannot defend. You'll never know what I became because of you. 10,000 promises, 10,000 ways to lose. Chorus, and you held it all, but you were careless to let it fall. You held it all, and I was by your side, powerless. In this section of the podcast, we talk about our lives in recovery, what's happening in our meetings and in our lives this week. And I'm thinking back over my week, and I'm like, how did I use program in my life this week? Oh, yeah, well, work is one that work for me these days is all about knowing what's important and only doing what's important. And the tools that I learned in Al-Anon of inventory, of taking some time to to think about what's going on, I think about Step 10 in particular, uh, daily inventory, and when we were wrong, promptly admitted it. And that includes admitting it to myself, like, oh, this was not the right thing to do. Let's set it down. Learning that it's better to set down something that's going in the wrong direction than to finish it just because I feel like, oh, I have to finish it because I started it. Those are principles that somehow I learned in Al-Anon, I'm pretty sure, because I didn't have it before. It definitely came from my recovery experience. Dealing with adversity and, and things that go wrong, the power of of step five, that which is also part of step ten, when I was wrong, promptly admitted it, that when we you know, we did some things that turned out had some consequences. And it's just so much easier for me now because of the practice that I've had in this program to step up and say, Oh, this went wrong. This is what we're doing to fix it. This is how it shows up. And this is, you know, this is what you can expect to see because of this thing that went wrong. And this is how we're going to fix it. So much easier to step up and say that than it used to be. Used to be something went wrong. I would like hope nobody noticed and try to fix it real quick. Might've had the same end effect, but the way I felt about it was not so healthy for me. Right. And speaking of health, I, I committed myself to run a 5k race next weekend. And I'm I'm practicing for it. And one of the things that relevant to today's discussion is that I can't force it. I would like to be able to finish that race in 30 minutes, but I cannot. There's an absolutely no way I can force myself to finish that race in 30 minutes. If I try to do that, if I try to run at a pace that I would finish it in 30 minutes, if I could continue to run at that pace, I exhaust myself. I can do 1K, maybe two on the flat at that pace. This race is not on the flat. It's got hills and and ups and downs. A couple of weeks ago, I started out at a really nice pace, and I forced myself to keep running at more or less that pace up the first big hill, and that was it. I ended up walking a whole bunch of the rest. I mean, I still finished it, but but I, I, I I made a worse time than I did yesterday when I recognized my limitations, when I recognized what I actually could do, uh, 
And I finished actually in a shorter time than I did the day when I tried to force it, even though I started out kind of slow. I st- my legs were kind of stiff and sore and, and when I started out. And of course, one of the things that I've found is that if I actually do the thing, then they feel better after a little while. You know, it's all the old lactic acid get pushed out or whatever. I don't know. But anyway, working on health there, um, that's a good thing. Family, spending time with my family, with my wife. And yesterday, our daughter participates in Morris Dance, which I don't know if you've heard of Morris Dance, but it's this old English dance where they, it's a group dance and they have generally bells on their legs and sometimes sticks that they bang against the sticks, each other's sticks, not against each other. And I guess there's a version with swords, but they don't, they don't do that. At least my, my daughter's group doesn't. So anyway, there was this big gathering of Morris dancers from mostly the Midwest, but there was a group from Florida. There was a group from Colorado uh, and they all got together on Memorial Day weekend. And, and this year's gathering was both sponsored by the local group and nearby. So uh, we went up for the day to Port Huron, which is about an hour and a half away from where I live and watch them, watch them do their thing. And it was fun. And we got to spend some time and in the car, played a couple of open talks on the way up and back. So we had some recovery while we were there. And I'll tell you what, the, the talk I played as we were driving up by Father Tom W., which I've talked about him before. He's, uh, in fact, I talked about him earlier in the episode. He's a Jesuit who speaks in both AA and Al-Anon because he participates in both programs. I find the depth of his insight or the depth of his ability to express it maybe is more to the point. I find it really inspiring every time I hear him talk. Last year at the local, one of the local conferences, he was the Al-Anon speaker. This talk we listened to on the way up was, was as an AA speaker. I really am planning to, uh, to put it into my podcast as an open talk because although he's speaking from the AA perspective, so much of what he says about recovery resonates with, with my experience. It's just the alcohol part that doesn't resonate. He also talks insightfully and personally about the disease of alcoholism. And I feel like as an Al-Anon, I need to hear that stuff. I need to, to understand better how alcoholics are affected by this disease in order to have compassion and understanding as we're enjoined in, uh, I think it's tradition five, understanding our alcoholic relatives. And so that was great. On the way back, listen to actually another AA speaker. Um, there's a podcast I've started listening to recently called Sober Speak. The host has one person on per episode and, and just sort of interviews them through a first step talk. And again, a lot of a lot of good stuff in there, and there's there is one episode uh, with an Al-Anon speaker who who was also on the recovery show. Megan, that's a bit of what I had going on in recovery this week. How about you, Eric? I hear you got some birds going on too. Yeah, I just walked outside, but now I got drilling going on in my office. So this week it was a little difficult to get to meetings this week because I had a. A lot of personal things going on, trying to get uh, my older daughter set up to leave for the summer for a summer job in Vermont, which she was supposed to do yesterday. Supposed to, I emphasize the word supposed to. Did not. I chose not to force it, uh, tying into our subject today, although it was very frustrating because she had two weeks to prepare. Was completely unprepared. 
I basically suggested all the things that I would do if I were leaving for four months, mm-hmm. like check that your medications are updated and you have prescriptions before you go. She didn't didn't do that. Check that your paperwork and license and registration insurance and such are with you. Uh, your laundry and shopping for all the things you might need. She left at 8.30 on Sunday morning to go to the mall. I said, you know, I don't think the mall's open. <laughs> uh, at 8.30 on Sunday? Probably not. Lo and behold, it was not. So, you know, a series of those kinds of things, and I just breathed my way through it, called my sponsor a few times, and then said, uh, you know, it is what it is. If she gets there, um, you know, there's a great thing I, I actually wanted to suggest we include in this episode. It popped into my inbox on one of the various websites that send me inspirational things, and it's called Maybe So, Maybe Not. Mm. Uh, and uh, have you ever seen that? Yeah, yeah. In fact, had somebody write in about it recently, asking asking that story. Yeah, I think I actually sent it to you too. It's a, basically a proverb that says uh, things could go wrong, and they things could go right. You know, you never know. Yep. And uh, not to sweat it. And I chose to adopt that fable or wise man's uh, quotes on this subject. You know, it's just as equally to happen to our favor or her favor or someone else's as it is to not. When uh, I was asked by my sponsor on Saturday, he says, oh, you're, you're leaving for Vermont tomorrow with your daughter, right? I said, maybe so. Maybe, maybe not. Maybe not. <laughs> <laughs> it turned out to be maybe not. Mm-hmm. So was it a good thing or a bad thing? And it ended up, actually, to my surprise, being a good thing. Because even though it was disappointing for me, because I'd planned to go behind her in my car, help her get set up when she got there, get her some groceries and, you know, do fatherly things in a loving way. And and then, you know, pat her on the butt and say goodbye, uh, mm-hmm. you know, and, mm-hmm. and, and have finally a few months without her under my roof for the first time in five years, which would have been pretty refreshing. It ended up that uh, she ended up with her Younger, my other daughter, uh, my 16-year-old, about to be going over to spend some time with her mom, which hasn't happened in eight months. And apparently that went pretty well. So you know what? Maybe so, maybe not, but who knows? And it turned out to be pretty good, I think, for everybody in uh, my family. So that, uh, that was uh, what yesterday was. But earlier in the week, like I said, just trying to get you know, trying to worry about things that she wasn't doing was kind of consuming me. So it was it was helpful that my Saturday morning meeting I went to was on the subject of worry. Thursday, I was in court with my ex, I mentioned earlier, and that went okay. Wednesday was a, you know, co-parenting meeting with my ex, which went okay. So really, I did, you know, some of my own work with meditation and prayer and calling some people uh, in program. Last Sunday's meeting was step eight, so that was helpful. And then, um, you know, just by, you know, we have something every year in this town called the town party, the Greenwich town party. And they usually get really, really headline artists to perform for a nominal fee of residents uh, can buy tickets online for about 80 bucks. And last year it was Dire Straits. And again, I just happened to be on a date with someone who uh, said, do you want to go tonight? And I said, are you kidding? Of course. And we ended up there. (laughs) 
you know, and mm-hmm. for the, those tickets were like $30. It was incredible. And what a great event. It's out, outside on the water. And likewise, this year was to be Eric Clapton. And mm-hmm. when the tickets first went on sale on the website on in the town, Everyone thought there was a complete hoax because they were sold out in about 45 seconds. And there was a lot of disgruntled people yeah. pinging, pinging around the internet and unhappy. And this is a conspiracy. And there's some, you know, bots that are buying all these things to resell them. So, you know, as of yesterday, I had no real plan, although I was high, highly desired to go. I do, you know, sing some Eric Clapton songs. And obviously he's an icon and near the end of his career. And I stopped in at a restaurant at about 4.30 to lament, and uh, someone overheard me talking and said, hey, I just heard you saying about the concert tonight. Uh, We have an extra ticket. Do you want it? (laughs) So I'd given up at 4.30, and at 7 o'clock, I was at the concert. So I saw Eric Clapton in probably one of his swan, swan song performances, and he was incredible. He was in terrific voice. Uh, so that was kind of my uh, my week uh, this last week. All in all, not too bad. No, no, not at all. Upcoming, uh, somebody asked last week again about experience with uh, children who are in active alcoholism or addiction and still living at home and how how to live with that. And I remembered that I talked to a couple people earlier this year about coming on the show to talk about their experience. They both had teenagers who were, I believe, in in, in addiction. I don't remember the details, and I will find out. Uh, so I'm going to reach out to them and uh, see if I can get them into the studio uh, in the next few weeks as we're moving into the you know summer vacation time, so that may be difficult. So if you've got experience with a child a teenager typically who is in active alcoholism and addiction. You want to share your experience, strength, and hope uh, or your questions because uh, having a nice set of questions to ask people is always helpful. Please call or write. And Eric, how can they do that? Well, uh, they can call me. <laughs> <laughs> you You can call me. You can leave us a voicemail at 734 707 8795. Call right now, 734-707-8795. You can also use the voicemail button on the website to join the conversation from your computer. If you prefer not to use your voice, you can send email to feedback at therecovery.show. We'd love to hear from you. Share your experience, strength, and hope, or your questions about today's topic of force versus power, or any of our upcoming topics. If you have a topic you'd like us to talk about, let us know. Yeah, and our website, which is therecovery.show, does have all the information about the show, including notes for each episode, videos for the music we talk about, and and so on. And also the pay, the Contact Us page at therecovery.show slash contact has the phone number, the email address, etc. cetera, uh, details about contributing your voice to our conversation. Eric, you picked us a song here. This is uh, one of my favorite artists, John Mayer, and apparently one of a lot of people's favorite artists. The song's called Gravity. And interesting in the uh, notes about the song, what the artist has to say, believe it or not, I never knew this. He says, this is John Mayer, this is the most important song I've ever written. It's a time capsule song. I will listen to it every day of my life if I need to. It's honest to God, the most important song I've ever written in my life, and it has the fewest words. 
I was in LA. I was there for the summer, just writing tunes. And I was in a in the shower, and I don't know where it came from, but it's the damn truth, you know. And I just sang "Gravity." It's working against me. He goes on to say, "This is a song about making sure you still love yourself, making sure you still have your head on, making sure you still say no the way your mom would say no." And I need it every damn day of my life because it's easier to mess up than it is to stay here. So pretty amazing. I did not know uh, that this was such an important song to him. And it really speaks of physical gravity, but it's obviously meant to be taken, you know, as a metaphor. Gravity is working against me. Gravity wants to bring me down. I'll never know what makes this man, with all the love this heart can stand, dream of ways to throw it all away. Hmm. So, pretty amazing. Hmm. Yeah, great choice. Yep. We got some email and a voicemail this week. Nikki wrote, Good morning. I've been intending to send you an email for months now to thank you for your service and the recovery you bring to my life and the lives of others through your show. I found your podcast in November after speaking with my sponsor about how my mind spins and keeps churning during the many hours I spend on the road for work. She suggested that I find a podcast and replace those thoughts with recovery. Wow, what a suggestion that has been. I love the 200-plus episode selection that I can listen to when my mind is spinning. I'm relatively new to recovery. It is comforting to know that I can look up a topic I'm struggling with and find an episode. Just this morning, I was listening to an older episode on expectations. The concept of low expectations was brought up. This is something I'm struggling with lately. I just couldn't put a word or label to it. I have been disappointed in the past with the actions or inactions of others, so I have found myself putting low expectations on outcomes so I will not be disappointed. I guess it's validation for me in hearing all of these different struggles and then listening to solutions that others have found. In between meetings, it is a great resource. I'm going on vacation next week with my qualifier and plan to download episodes to listen to on the long flight and to supplement the fact that I'm not going to be able to attend in-person meetings. Thank you again, Nikki. And and thank you, Nikki, for validating what we do here. Eric, can you read the letter for me, Ann? Uh, yeah, sure. I stepped outside, so you might hear some geese or something flying by. Spencer, thank you for the work you put into the recovery show. It's part of my weekly, if not daily, recovery. Someone submitted her letter from her higher power on letting her son go. Could you put that letter in a link? I'd love to be able to read it on a daily basis, as that is what I'm trying to do with my son. Thanks again for your show, Anne. And and thanks, Anne. Uh, obviously, more than one person has this question. I think we had that question. I, also, last week, I did put a link... I think it was in last week's episode. I'll put a link again in this week's episode because obviously a lot of people want this. And it links to a, a blog on the Al-Anon, actual, the official Al-Anon website. So I think that's probably where the original source of the letter came from. Pat left us a voicemail in response to the last episode, number 248. Hey, Spencer. This is Pat on the West Coast. I just listened to episode 248 on the five languages of love and... Really enjoyed it. What a what a great show and a great commentary. We had a lot to do. I have a lot of experience around that kind of topic. I really liked your insights, and it was 
interesting the difference between you working on it as a solo person versus how it's going to be with you both having gone through that. And so my experience is working on my husband's, responding to my husband's languages of love without necessarily having him aware of that concept or having done a workshop with him. So um, that might be something very different. But this is kind of what my experience with that is so far. Because you presented a while ago, I think a couple of years ago when you first read the book, you also talked about the five languages of love. And that really got me thinking about about some of the interactions between my spouse and myself. And so one of the things that he does is, so he'll ask for roommate requests, and I think those are pretty similar to your wife asking for you to do little errands. And these are really detailed little little things that are fine-tuned and, and probably just produce little irritations or little tiny inconveniences for him through the day. But he'll make these requests of me, and lots of times it's something he could handle himself. Like he'll pick up a cleanest and stick it on my dresser instead of throwing it in the garbage. And uh, there'll be a little bit of water on the counter. And, um, he doesn't want to have to wipe that up himself. He wants me to have the counter just wiped up and the sink wiped up every morning before I go to work. So I've been with him for about 10 years, and it's really been an Al-Anon journey in responding to these um, very fine, detailed requests. And I'm really grateful for the tools and for the program because it's really helped me work through that and come to a, a really solid, positive place for myself. So originally, uh, you can probably figure it out, I would find those requests irritating, and it would show on my face. I'd be angry or irritated or contemptuous. And he would accuse me of reacting like a teenager, which, of course, really didn't help me feel good about the scenario, and i get irritated with that, and that was kind of a bad setup. It was really it was frustrating because a lot of times I was doing my best. He'd already made a request, and I had changed the behavior. I wasn't doing 100% of the time, but I was seeing and changing or creating a new habit a lot of the time. And it tied in with my perfectionism, and I felt judged. I felt like I wasn't doing a good enough job. I wasn't being good enough. Um, I also felt like I wasn't getting credit or acknowledgement for, you know, the efforts that I was making and the intent, you know. And so you can see that one of my primary means of communicating love is, is or receiving love is, is through language and through positive reinforcement and acknowledgement. So when I heard the first show, it really helped me change my attitude because I realized that there's a lot of little things like this that he does around the house, and we're actually pretty well-matched. We're both pretty anal, and we're both pretty detail-oriented, and we both like a really neat, picked-up house. So it's actually a good match, and I realized that what I was doing, that by doing these things that he was requesting as a roommate, I was preventing irritations and annoyances from the day. And and I was speaking his love language when I did that. But I still wasn't perfect in my new behavior, and he would still point out, you know, I'd be drinking 99% of the time, and he'd point out the one time that I didn't remember to do whatever the little thing was. And it was pretty infrequent. So I find that 
speaking that language of love for my spouse and giving that to him requires balance. The next one that I podcast that I listened to right after the Five Languages of Love podcast was uh, Cooperation and Balance, number 135. And that's, I really recommend that to people. I've gotten through the first half of it where you're talking about, oh, I don't know, Concept 11, I think it is. Um, and it's really a great, great discussion. And in the first half, you and Akilah bring up the idea of primary purpose. And I thought about that within the context of the languages of love and what is my primary purpose. Well, I think it's to be a loving, collaborative spouse. I think it's to be an active participant in my own recovery. And my third primary purpose is to strive towards being the person that I want to be. But my primary purpose is not to make my spouse happy, nor is my spouse's primary purpose to make me happy. We both manage to contribute toward the other person's happiness by being the best we can, but it's not our primary job in life. So I have to use my program to put my love in perspective. And over time, what I realize is that when he points out a flaw or a time when I don't hit the mark in my roommate behaviors, I'm not, you know, and I've, I've not completed a behavior or something, I have a choice. I have a lot of choices. Uh, I can I can choose the attitude with which I hear feedback. And, you know, I can respond in a non-aggressive, non-challenging, non-angry way. I can say, okay, or yes, or you're right, or, yeah, I missed it this time, or I'll try to get that next time, or, yeah, today was just kind of different and I was off my game, or whatever. Not a big deal. And then I can, I, I, well, I care about his thoughts and his feelings and his feedbacks. They actually kind of fall in my book under Tradition 10 as being an outside opinion. And so I really get to think and decide how I feel and interpret that. And if I feel like I've been making a good effort and I'm improving and it's been satisfactory, then I can just acknowledge it to myself and let go of any perceived judgment by myself. Just an outside opinion. You know, the other side of the five things is that um, something I would like for myself is maybe a little more physical signs of love, hugs and stuff like that. And I've told him about that over the years, and, and it's improved. And he does things from time to time. That, you know, he has an awareness and makes an extra effort. And I make sure that I let him know when I'm appreciative of of his effort. But ultimately, even though I've made the request, I still need to let go of the outcome. And if I'm not getting enough of that, then I've decided to take responsibility for getting my own needs met. So that means I'll ask him, hey, can I hug you? Oh, can I have a hug? Reach out and touch him and pat him. And But the other thing is I cultivate a, like a hugging relationship and I love your relationships with my family and friends. And so that fulfills my needs. Same thing with my kids with phone calls. I really don't talk to my daughter very often. When she does call, we get along great. If I want to talk to her, I just reach out. And if I reach out and she doesn't respond, I can let go of the outcome. But I've made that effort to take care of what my desires are. So, at any rate, Spencer, thank you again so much. It was it was really beneficial for me to be able to sit down and put this all together into a single thought process. Hopefully, someone else can benefit from my kind of processing all of this over the years. I'm sitting on the UW campus looking at just 
a beautiful Mount Rainier with big fluffy white clouds behind it, and it's sunny and gorgeous. And I hope everybody out there is um, finding their own little times of peace and joy. So, uh, love to everyone who's listening to the show and to you, Spencer, and um, I'll be participating later. Bye-bye. Thank you, Pat, for sharing your own experience on this topic. It's it's always good to hear other voices because they help to broaden my own understanding and experience. You want to read Diane's question? Hi, Spencer. God bless you. How would you explain simplistically isms? I was talking to a friend about how the effects of alcohol can be passed from generation to generation without active alcoholism. I could not explain I was grateful for the question and said, I don't know how to explain it. Blessings, Diane. Yeah, that's that's a good question. Uh, and for me, wow, isms. I mean, I identify behaviors that I have that I see in other people whose lives have been affected by alcoholism. And I know that I had those behaviors before active alcoholism entered my life. One of the ways that I can explain that is to look back in my family history, and I can't identify definite alcoholics in my in my direct line of descent, but I do have a cousin and an uncle who identify as alcoholic. And so I'm going to assume there's some alcoholism back there somewhere, and that the effect of that alcoholism on the people around the alcoholic got passed down through my mother maybe her mother, because I can see those behaviors in in them as well. So that's one way in which I see this this generational effect of alcoholism, aside from, you know, people actually inheriting the tendency to be alcoholic. But I don't think that's what Diane's asking about. Do you have any thoughts on that, Eric? Uh, actually, I do. And it's a good one because, you know, you hear it mentioned all kinds of meetings and people say you're, they're suffering from the isms. I think it's more generally just to mean traits. If you want to add ism to the end, any one of our words of our our problem, you know, our our stressors, controlism, worryism, anxietyism, blameism, angerism, you know, right? Yeah, <laughs> that, okay. To me, are, yeah, those to me are the isms. Those are the character traits or defects, whichever you want to call them, that I'm trying to uh, work on. It's it's character traits. Yeah. Those are the isms that come from this disease. And mm-hmm. my 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 thoughts. Jessica left a really brief comment on episode 19, which was about gratitude. She writes, quote, I can be grateful for coffee, end quote. <laughs> Thanks, Spencer. That's the best quote ever. I'm grateful to you in this podcast. <laughs> Apparently during that episode, I said I can be grateful for coffee. Probably <laughs> Why not? Sleepy. Yeah, you know, I am grateful for coffee, right? Yeah. Sometimes, sometimes we get reviews on iTunes, and these reviews do help to make us easier for those who are in need and are seeking recovery to to come to our podcast. We have one titled Thoughtful Al-Anon Program, uh, five stars by 12 Steps for Recovery. Spencer's podcast is an absolute godsend. I go to Al-Anon meetings, but his podcast is a godsend when I'm going to work or to pick up my kids from school. He speaks the Al-Anon 12-step program in an approachable way that is helpful for people who haven't yet been to a meeting but are curious about recovery for the friends and family of alcoholics. And I think that I have to also, you know, thank my guests like Eric here who helped me to keep that approachable way going. You're welcome. It doesn't cost you anything to listen to The Recovery Show. We do have expenses. You can help to support us and keep us on the web. 
in a couple of ways. We have a donation button on the website where you can support us directly, just like Michael, Marianne, Lucy, and Paige did. And thank you again, Michael, Marianne, Lucy, and Paige. We have put together a list of recovery-related books. Click on the books link in the menu at the top of the page. If you order one of these books from Amazon through our website, we will receive a small commission. In fact, anything you order from Amazon after clicking on one of the links will help us. It costs you nothing extra and helps to keep us going. Thank you for your support in whatever form you give it, whether it's sharing the podcast with your friends, simply direct them to therecovery.show, or just listening. We are here for you. And the last song that I picked is is a sort of a regaining power song or having power song. It's an oldie, but uh, still good. It's by Kenny Loggins titled, I'm All Right. I'm all right. Nothing worry about me. Why you got to give me a fight? Can't you just let it be? And man, there's some Al-Anon right there. Why you got to give me a fight? Can't you just let it be? And when I learned to just let it be, then I keep the power that I would have given away uh, engaging in the fight. Do what you like, doing it naturally. But if it's too easy, they're going to disagree. It's your life. And it isn't it a mystery. If it's nobody's business, it's everybody's game. I would probably change that last line. If it's not my business, it's not my game. But, you know, that's program. That's the theme song from Caddyshack. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. That's right. Uh-huh. I say, hey, Lama. Hey, you're going to stiff me here. How about something for the effort? Yeah. So he says, Gunga de Gungala, which means on your deathbed, you receive eternal consciousness. So I got that going for me. Yeah. <laughs> yes, I do remember that line. Yeah. I got that going for me. <laughs> uh, Which is nice. Yep, yep. Uh, and, uh, I appreciate the uh, the seagulls chiming in there, too. Oh, yeah, of course. Thank you for listening, and please keep coming back. Whatever your problems, there are those among us who have had them, too. If we did not talk about a problem you're facing today, feel free to contact us so we can talk about it in a future episode. May understanding, love, and peace grow in you one day at a time.